Father, we thank you for hands and hearts unchained, set free by mercy and by grace and hearts that know mercy the way that our hearts do. Those of us who've received grace and mercy from your hand, Lord, we, we cannot remain silent about that. It's like a fire in our bones, Father. We have to speak what we have seen and we have heard. And so we give thanks to you that you're the rescuing God, that you deliver us, that you set us free. And for freedom, you have set us free. So Lord, let us not submit again to the yoke of slavery, to bondage and fear of sin. But fill us, I pray, Lord, with hearts that are full of joy, set free by your grace and your mercy. And we thank you that you are mighty and you are strong and you save. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Please be seated. What an amazing week. I just uh, got back uh, late Friday evening with our students and uh, kind of an amazing week as you've heard uh, so many of our students came to be followers of Christ and uh, Friday about, about noon, as best as I can tell, I didn't have a watch on, but I stepped into the, 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 the cold waters of the Nueces River and 29 of our students followed and, uh, and were buried. Amen. They were buried by baptism into his death and they were raised to live a brand new life. We've got a video of that we'll show you uh, tonight as part of our worship service. And we centered our worship this week in that great Old Testament story of God's deliverance, of his rescue of his people uh, from bondage and that whole story from the book of Exodus and, uh, and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy and, and just sort of bathed in that. And I thought as we were worshiping this week and our sort of catchphrase for the week, I thought about uh, that guest preacher who came to a church and he was preaching and he really went long and everybody knew he was going long and people were getting restless. And the pastor behind him just sort of quietly said, amen, Pharaoh. And the preacher kept preaching, but noticed the pastor and he kept preaching and, and the preacher said a little bit louder, the pastor said, amen, Pharaoh. And he did it a number of times and this guy thought that was encouragement. So he just kept waxing eloquent and preaching. And finally, when he finished the sermon, he said to the pastor, I wanna thank you for your encouragement to me, but I didn't really understand what you meant by Pharaoh, what did you mean by that? And the pastor said, I meant, let my people go. <laughs> it's over, you know, just uh, let's all go. And uh, we were set free from sin, but we were also set free to share the faith that we have found in Jesus Christ. And someone may wonder, what right do we have to share our faith? I wanna show you Paul's answer to that in Romans chapter 10, verses eight through 15, you know, Romans 8, I am sure, but I'd like for you to know 9 through 11 a little bit better than you do. So maybe we can focus on that. Uh, let's stand together for the reading of God's word, sharing good news. Our focus today, sharing good news, Romans chapter 10, verses 8 through 15. You'll know some of these verses. Just follow along with me as I read. But what does it say? The word is near you. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart. That is the word of faith that we are proclaiming that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For it's with your heart that you believe and are justified. It's with your mouth that you confess and are saved. As the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. For there's no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call 
on him for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they've not believed in? How can they believe in the one of whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Please be seated. This is the word of the Lord. The Apostle Paul was simpler than we make him out to be. His great ambition in life was to win some. He wanted to win somebody into relationship with Jesus Christ ever since uh, he saw that bright and dazzling light on the road to Damascus and he was stricken down blind from that point when, when Ananias touched him and the scales fell from his eyes and he saw Jesus clearly and he entered into the waters of the baptistry and he came out a brand new person ever since that time. It was all that he could talk about and so we hear it in that crescendo that he rises to in Romans chapter eight when he says, and God is working all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. And, and, and since God is for us, who can be against us? And then in verses 37 to 39, when he finally says, and nothing in all creation can ever separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And then in chapter nine, he says, and what I really want is for my own people to believe that. In fact, he goes so far in, in Romans chapter nine, verse three. I hope you'll read chapters nine to 11 this week, just for context. But in chapter nine, verse three, he says, I would, if it were possible, it's not possible, but if it were possible and I could trade my own salvation so that my people would be saved, I would do it. He said, we are in great distress over those who do not know Christ. And I read that again this week and he talked about anguish and trouble and I thought, I'm not sure we feel that strongly about people coming to Christ. He says it again in chapter 10, at the beginning of this chapter, he says, my heart's desire, if you had to complete that sentence this morning and say, my heart's desire is, I wonder how you would complete that because for Paul it was that my people would be saved, that they would be set free that they would come into relationship of intimacy with God through the knowledge of Jesus Christ. This was Paul's heart cry. And uh, one of my favorite sociologists, a young man named Andy Crouch, says that um, he doesn't run into many people these days who are so passionate about evangelism that they don't care about justice. He said he used to run into people like that. But more often than not now, when he engages believers, he finds people who are so passionate about justice that they're less concerned about evangelism. And he goes on to say, that's really not an either or choice for believers. We ought to care about justice. We ought to care about the captives being set free in a hub of human trafficking in our country, right here in our city. We ought to care about that. And even the secular culture has become attuned to that and cares about it. But that same secular culture is a bit um, standoffish about the idea that they need Jesus Christ to be their savior. And that's where you and I can't afford to compromise. So we need to care deeply about both. We need, he says in verse 15, to have beautiful feet, the kind of beautiful feet that don't come from going to the shoe store or getting a pedicure, the kind of beautiful feet that are the feet of those who come bringing good news. And the church needs to be the people who bring the good news. This is the way Charles Haddon Spurgeon put it. Every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. I want you to soak in that for a second. 
every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. And in his day, they were asking the question, well, what if missionaries don't go? Won't the heathen be saved if we don't send them the gospel? And he said, the real question we ought to be asking is, are we saved? Are we ourselves saved if we don't send them the gospel. What right do we have to share our faith? The Apostle Paul answers that when he says the right we have is that our God actually is the God who saves those who hear about him, believe in him and call upon his name. And in verses eight to 13, he explains that and he roots it really in the message of the gospel itself, that that simple gospel that Christ was God incarnate. So he says in verses five and six and seven, he says, so we don't have to go up to heaven to bring Jesus down because of Christmas incarnation. He's already come down. And because of Easter, we don't have to go down to the depths of death to bring him up because he's already come up in the resurrection. So since he came down incarnation, since he came up resurrection, the word is near you. And he quotes, interestingly, our students may recognize this from Deuteronomy chapter 30, which is where we left camp this week. And it just happens to be where Paul starts this passage. And he quotes from, uh, from Moses here. And basically, as, as Paul explains it, he says, the word that is near you is not the word of the law. So if you can just be a, a little bit better and try harder to do better, you'll be okay. That's not, that's not good news because in fact, it doesn't work. But he says, you could take this word of faith, not some mystical word of faith. So you speak something and believe it and it happens. That's not what he means by word of faith. The word of faith he's talking about is the good news that everybody who calls upon the name of Jesus Christ and trusts in him will be saved. And he says, it's really all of you. So it's, it's your heart that's inward. It's your mouth that's outward. It's all of you. It's not really like a two-step process. You believe in your heart and then you confess with your mouth. It's just, that's all one event. It's justification. It's salvation. It's what God is doing in the lives of those who put their trust in him. He says, and those who trust in him are not going to be ashamed because when we call upon his name, we will be saved. And since that is true, since we serve the God who saves, it is incumbent upon us to share that faith, to know that this God who saves is our God and he is mighty and strong to save as we have sung and he is faithful and gracious to bring us to the place of salvation. And so we believe in our hearts, that's the place of volition. It's not the place of emotion. I know we use heart that way in all of our love songs, but it's the place where decisions are made. He says, is with the heart you believe, you put your trust in, you put your confidence in and I was thinking about that this week and how Paul really takes that back all the way back to the beginning of Judaism, the father of Judaism, Abraham. And he says in Genesis chapter 15, verse six, we have that passage that says, Abraham believed God, he trusted God and God counted it to him as righteousness. And at that point, there was no Mosaic law. It wasn't like Abraham could just keep the law and then he'd get right with God. There was no law. But there was God and he trusted in God. And that is, he says, the, the pattern for believers today. We trust God and he counts us as righteous. We don't get more righteous and then God loves us. God loves us and when we trust him, he makes us righteous. We need to get that order right or we'll end up with moralism instead of Christianity. And that's gonna be bad news for the world. Moralism is bad news, but Christianity is really good news. And I was interested this week to see uh, Bill Gates, the wealthiest man in the world, 58 years old, and they asked him, do you believe in God? And Gates is a, a scientist, he's a thinker. And, and he said, you know, science has helped us with some of the weather issues and some of the health issues. But he went on to say, I was surprised to hear him say the mystery 
and beauty of the world is overwhelmingly amazing. There's no scientific explanation of how it came about to say it was generated by random numbers. That does seem, and he kind of chuckled when he said it, uh, an uncharitable view. I think it makes sense to believe in God, Bill Gates said. But exactly what decision in your life you make differently because of it, I don't know. Well, that's a starting point, Bill. That's a starting point because um, Psalm 14.1 says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. You'd be foolish not to believe that there's a God. But then the scripture goes on to say, we can't stop there because uh, James chapter two, verse 19 says, so um, if you say you believe in God, good, that's a good starting point. Yeah, the, the demons believe that and they tremble. So that's, that's a starting point. So Jesus is more specific. John 14, verse one, he says, let not your hearts be troubled. Why? You believe in God. Okay, good. Believe also in me. Note the specificity of that. Jesus says, it's not just enough to have this cognitive assent that there might be a God up there somewhere. You need to believe in him in such a way that you have a relationship with him. And that happens specifically through, exclusively, I might add, through Jesus Christ. So this, this gospel is easily accessible. You don't have to go up or down for it. It's also equally accessible to Jew and to Gentile alike. It is available to us for those who believe. And to believe is simply to trust. Everybody who trusts in him will not be ashamed. I have a lot of fears. We talked about that at camp this week. One of my fears is of heights. Another is of going really fast. Another is of water. Another is of bees. I could go all day. I'll just leave it there. But um, they have this zip line called the T3000. I've been there, done that, got the t-shirt this week. And basically it is a 3000 foot long zip line. And you walk up a hill. Some of you were with me when we did this. We walk up this hill. They put you in this harness. They clip you in uh, to this wire. And then they open these little doors. They open and then you look down and your brain says, I'm going to die right now. I'm going to die. And they release you. And the bad part is you don't start fast. You just kind of start slow and you think, oh, this isn't good. Ah, and then, you know, and you can go, you can go Superman or you can go bullet or you can go Batman or you can go dead cat or you can go like I did ah, all the way down. Because in my mind, I didn't believe that cable was going to hold me. And then somebody told me that's the same strength of cable that they use to catch the jets that land on the aircraft carriers. And I was thinking, I haven't been on a scale lately, but I think I'm okay. You know, I mean, if it can stop a jet, then maybe it can hold me up. So I went back the next day. I'm not exactly sure why. One of my prayer partners said, why did you do that? So I was preaching on fear. I thought it might help to experience it before I talked about it. And I go up the next day and I really enjoyed it. I mean, it was amazing because this time I knew I'm going to be safe. I'm going to be okay. None of this stuff. Just, just enjoy the ride because it's going to. And here's what I want to say. We trust in God. Why? Because he can save us because he has the ability. It's not like it's too hard for him. Nothing is too hard for him. Things are impossible for us. We can't save ourselves by keeping the law. I read this morning about somebody who was stranded in the ocean. They tread water for 14 hours. That wouldn't work for me because I can't tread water that long, but they couldn't have tread water for 14 days, for instance, or, or 14 years. And that's the thing. If somebody says, Hey, Hey, I'll give you the country of England. If you just swim across the ocean. Well, look, there are people, you know, Diane and I, will get farther than you and me, but nobody's getting there. And that's the problem with the law. We can't save ourselves. But what if God chooses to save us? So he says, you believe in your heart and then you confess, you agree with God with your mouth. And what do you say? Jesus Christ is Lord. That was a very dangerous thing 
for people in the first century world to say because the only person who had the title kurios or Lord was Caesar. So if you say Jesus is Lord, basically you're saying Caesar is not Lord and that didn't give you an, an extended life expectancy if you said Caesar is not Lord, Jesus is. And a lot of Christians died for that very thing. But he says, when you confess that with your mouth, you are calling on the name, the only name under heaven whereby we must be saved is the name of Jesus Christ. There's some exclusivity in that. And I don't want you to be put off by that. It's just reality. And that's hard for our world to receive. So John Lennox is a professor of mathematics and an author at Oxford University over in England. He went on a tour of Eastern Europe where uh, the death camps of the Nazis were. And he gets over in that area. And on his tour group was a young Jewish woman who came from um, South Africa. And they're seeing all of this and they see that sign, Arbeit macht frei, uh, work makes free, that lie that was told to the people who came into the camp. If you just work, it'll set you free. No, they were incinerating them. They were killing them. And, and then the stories of Josef Mingle and what he was doing to the children, the experiments he was running. And finally, they were just overwhelmed by it. And the young woman looked at John Lennox, knowing he was a Christian, and said, so what does your religion make of that? And he thought, Wow. Where do I begin? She was angry and she's sort of leaning, got her arms propped in this doorway looking at him. And he thought, boy, I better be careful what I say here. And he said to her, you know what? I would never diminish. She had lost parents. She had lost uh, relatives there. And, and he said, I, I don't want to diminish the pain you've been through. But since you asked, let me just say, I believe that Jesus, Yeshua, was the Messiah, that he was God. He said, I know this is hard for you, but that God became a human being. And then, then what that means is when he was on that cross, what was he doing except entering into our suffering, our suffering world? He entered into our suffering and gave up his life. And there's hope in that because even in dying, he was overcoming the power of death, trampling over death by death. We saying he overcomes it and he comes out of the tomb. And the rest of the story is Yeshua didn't stay dead, but he came to life again so that he could sit down at the right hand of the heavenly father where someday he is going to disperse justice fairness, and here's good news for us, mercy to all who will receive it. And he had no idea how she would receive that. And he said, she stood there, a silhouette, motionless, standing in that doorway. And he heard her almost inaudibly whisper, why has nobody ever told me that about my Messiah before? Why has nobody ever told me that about my Messiah before. And I say again, the God who saves is the God who sends, who sends us out. We serve the sending God for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. He sent his son into the world. And then Jesus will say, as the father has sent me, John 20, verse 21, so send I you. We are the sent people. The, the Greek word apostello, apostle, we are sent. The, the, the Latin word mito gives us our word missions. I send. We have been sent by God into the world. And if you and I continue to think that the missionaries are those beautiful young couples that we've sent to countries around the world and we think that's it, we misunderstand. If you're thinking this morning, well, somebody ought to send somebody. My answer to you is we are the ones who've been sent. And every one of us is a missionary. And a missional church is a church where we don't just send other people to do the work. We cannot outsource the work of missions. You and I are missionaries. When we walk out the doors of this church to a, a city, a greater Houston metropolitan area of six million people who don't yet know Jesus Christ, and we're the ones who know. 
And this is the day of good news, it says in the Old Testament, when the four lepers find that the, uh, the camp of their enemies has been evacuated and they could just feast on it themselves. They say, we're not doing right because we have found this banquet and there are people starving behind us and we're the beggars who found bread and we better go get the other beggars so that we can show them where the bread is. And the word they say is, this is a day of good news. And don't you think when they came into the city and said, we have found food, that their feet were beautiful to those who heard the news. And you and I are entrusted by God with that great privilege. Melanie and I were watching that movie, Gravity. I think it was Oscar nominated this year. And we like Sandra Bullock. We, we like Sandra Bullock. And we were just watching and she's, you know, um, this, this Dr. Ryan Stone and she's stranded in space and she's trying to get to the space station and all of that. And, and there comes a moment when she's never prayed in her life. If you've seen this movie, you've seen this, but this is what she said. It's pretty telling. She said, I'm going to die, aren't I, God? I know we're all going to die. We're all going to die, but I'm going to die today. Funny that you ought to know. But the thing is, I'm still scared. I'm really scared. And then she goes on to say, um, nobody will mourn for me. No one will pray for my soul. Will you mourn for me, God? Will you pray for me? Or is it too late? I mean, I pray for myself, but I've never prayed in my life. Nobody ever taught me how. Nobody ever taught me how. No wonder she's afraid. Nobody ever taught her how. And I, I thought of that this week and wondered how many Ryan Stones are there in this great city? in this great world, how many people who never have been taught how to pray? You think, well, Christianity is just everywhere, but in some ways, if it's everywhere, it's nowhere, unless it's personalized, unless people are sharing it with others. And I saw people bringing their friends closer to God this week, and I just stood in amazement of that and watched the way that was unfolding because that's the way fear is taken away. And we thought about fear at camp, and, and I met a couple recently, and one of them has gamma phobia. You know what that is? That's the fear of getting married. And the one that he's dating has a, a nuptophobia and that's the fear of not getting married and so you got one who's afraid of getting married and one who's afraid of not getting married and they're dating each other and I have no idea how this is going to come out but it'll be interesting to watch I, I'm, I'm man, I am all eyes are on them I want to see how this this works out and then you got thanatophobia of the fear of death and uh, uh, hexacosia hexaconta hexaphobia the fear of the number six 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 and then uh, he, he, Hippopoto, monstro, I'll get this right, sesquipedaliophobia. You know what that is? That's the fear of long words. I'm having a hard time with it myself <laughs> this morning. And uh, you, got, you got all these, you know, all these fears, but the most amazing fear, I, uh, not tyrannophobia, the fear of being tickled with a feather, maybe you got that, but the most amazing one I saw was euphobia. Simpler, right? Easier to pronounce, euphobia, euphobia. What is it? The fear of good news. And this is real because some people can only make sense of the nonsense and the chaos in our world by the thought that it's all bad news all the time. And when they hear good news, it disrupts that flow of thought for them, which is very threatening because as long as they can say it's, gonna, it's bad and it's going to get worse and they can live in that reality and just, you know, just watch the first news story that comes on the news every night. But while there's all this bad stuff going on in our city, there were good things happening this last week. People coming to know Christ as Savior. It didn't make the news. But the good news is you and I can believe and we can trust. And I read this week about this uh, young woman named Putty Sock. That's her name, Putty Sock, who, who went to University of Texas in 2008. She entered as a freshman. She'd been born in Long Beach, California, grown up in Dallas. She was a Cambodian 
Buddhist, she said, because her parents told her she was a Buddhist, but she became an evangelistic atheist because she said she loved to ask people, prove to me that there's a God and people couldn't prove it. And so she, you know, she, she was ratified in that. She, she felt validated in that. And then she goes off to college and she wants to make deep relationships. And she meets these people who are believers in Christ and they're talking to her about Jesus. And she said, you know what? Don't talk to me about it and don't pray for me because I don't believe in it and I don't want to believe in it. And then about mid sophomore year, she hit the wall because she had these friends who believed in Christ and she couldn't figure out why they were the way they were if it wasn't true and, and how these things she was, she was studying made any sense if there wasn't eternity. And, and finally there came a moment when she said, well, if there is a God, he ought to be able to hear me pray. And so she started praying. And she went into this little prayer room in the, in the Christian Student Center there in Austin and she gets in there and they've got this little bowl full of names of people that are being prayed for and then the names of other students. And she starts going through them and she finds, even though she's told her friends not to pray for her, her name is in the bowl. And that was a moment of change and her heart was softened by that. And the very next day she did something about it. She said she became a follower of Jesus Christ. And she, then she said, and now I can't wait to share it with others because it's so real. God is changing me. Hearts that know mercy cannot stay silent. When we hear the news and experience it, we have to share it with somebody. So if you ask me, what right do we have to share our faith? I ask you, knowing what we know, what right do we have not to share our faith? Let's pray together. God, thank you for your amazing grace and mercy that is changing us, Lord. We're not about giving out information today, but we are praying for transformation in our own lives and the lives of others. And Lord, I pray that you would give us the knowledge that we need to trust you fully and wholly today and to put our whole weight down on you until you save us. And Lord, having been saved, I pray that you would help us to see that we have also been sent. And God, give us eyes to see the people around us who need to know you. And show us, I pray, Lord, the eternal significance of every conversation and every relationship. And today, if we hear your voice, Lord, let us not harden our hearts. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen.